As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Fancast to wrap up the week. Canucks coming off back-to-back losses, now actually three straight, Tom, after falling 4-1 to in Toronto last night. We had sort of penciled this one in. We knew they were going to be up against it. First back-to-backs for the Canucks after the COVID break. They've got a bunch more still on the schedule with a dozen games to go. Uh, but man, I, I was sort of calling this one the, the Jimmy Vesey of hockey games without Jimmy Vesey. There, there, just, there wasn't a whole lot to it at Scotiabank Arena on Thursday night. Well, including no Jimmy Vesey. <laughs> a healthy scratch for the third time in four games against his former club. And yeah, I mean, I thought the Canucks' effort was good, right? I'm going to give them a lot of credit for games where they play like that. But, you know, the Maple Leafs rested players and the Canucks were, I thought, pretty thoroughly and rigorously and completely outclassed. Um, like when the Sandine TJ Brody pair was on the ice, it just felt like it was all one-way traffic. Like, the Canucks were never going to get a scoring chance against that pair. And that's not even, like, a regular Leafs pair. That's like a let's see what San Dean can do in bigger minutes because we're resting Muzzin pair. Uh, it just felt like the Leafs were toying with them, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, the Canucks had two shots on goal in the first period. Two yeah. shots. And none over the final 14 minutes. There are two shots. One was Pearson. One was Miller. And they came in the first sort of five minutes of the hockey game. Shots were 2-2 at one point. The Leafs hit a poster. Across, I think Brody uh, hit a crossbar. And otherwise, like, there wasn't a whole lot happening early on, even though they were going back and forth, but uh, not getting many pucks through. And then ultimately, the Canucks finished. They, they went the final 14 minutes of the first period without a shot on goal. And some of that, I think, was, you know, again, these guys being tested back-to-backs, three and four, um, you know, they get a day off now to get ready for tomorrow night's rematch against the Leafs, and and we'll see. And and, and Travis Green was trying to put on a, you know, sort of a brave face post-game. Uh, the coaches are going to have a challenge here. Like, the Canucks are at that point, 12 games to go now, and that much closer to being mathematically eliminated, but 12 games is still a fair bit of runway, Tom. Like, there's, there's still a lot of hockey that has to be played. And so, you know, we've talked at times about the psychology of these guys and the mindset, and they're all going to say the right thing. But I, it just it feels to me like this is getting down to a pretty crunchy point for the players to have to step out onto the ice. They're pros, and they're going to give it what they can. But you know, nobody likes to play meaningless hockey, right? Like that would suck royally, I would imagine. Garbage time in games, but garbage time on the schedule. We're not there yet, but you can see it from here. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Well, and, and, you know, this is, this is about to get, I think, really ugly. 
in in terms of the viewing experience, in terms of the competitive environment that these players are going to be coping with, surviving through, you know, we're looking at, yes, the Canucks take 24 hours, but the Leafs rested a ton of players. They might rest a ton of players again on Saturday. They might they might use their roster and rotate more guys in, right? Like, and out. And meanwhile, the Canucks are going to need all hands on deck. And then they're going to fly on Sunday across country. And then they're going to face the Edmonton Oilers back to back. So, you know, like this three and four just ended. Take a breather. And then another three and four with a cross country flight and then back to back meetings with McDavid in Vancouver on the third and the fourth. Like, I don't I don't know what the Canucks are going to have in the tank for May 3rd and May 4th, but. I will suggest to you strongly it's not going to be pretty and and that's not to criticize you know any of the many things you could criticize reasonably about like this roster's construction or the level of depth like it's just going to be fatigue like the best roster in the league it would look crummy by the May 4th game against the Oilers um and this is not the best roster in the league so you know we're yeah we're getting to a point where I don't want to use the word death march uh, it's been overused in this market, but you know, I, I, if it's not that yet, you can see it from here. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's exactly where we are. And I, I would think just based on the opponents, the Leafs, and then, as you said, not just back to back against the Oilers in Vancouver, and then they go to Edmonton and do it again. Like, you know, they're on a run of six straight here that started last night, either Toronto or Edmonton. Uh, by this time next week, I'm thinking that the math probably runs out for the Canucks. But let them play the games. Uh, I, I'm sure guys will give it the old college try. I just don't know if that's going to be enough uh, as they move forward here uh, with just the one goal coming on the power play. So nothing at even strength. And and we'll see. I'm sure the Canucks would volunteer uh, some ideas for Sheldon Keefe if he wants to sit down some players like maybe Matthews and Marner uh, could use a rest. But <laughs> well, I, an angle. And Engvall. And sit that Engvall guy. My goodness. Canucks killer. But but honestly, like Matthews, up to 30, 36 goals now. Like he's hunting 40 and beyond. So I'm guessing that he doesn't want to he doesn't want to take a seat. And, and McDon- McDavid's looking for a hundred points. And I know. four straight coming up against the Canucks. Like you think McDavid? <laughs> I, I, what, like if Dave Tippett went to McDavid and said, We want you to sit out two of these four against Vancouver, I think he'd tell his coach to shove it. <laughs> more politely than that but yeah i mean <laughs> the thing about matthews having 36 goals is it seems low like that's how dangerous he is all the time like that chance that he manufactured sort of batting the puck out of midair on yeah. Braden holpe like in the third period who else in the league have you ever seen generate chances like that like his i mean forget making things out of nothing this guy this guy it feels like the puck doesn't even have to like if you're really good at FIFA, eventually you've you've done this where you've played an entire game against like the world class setting of computer where you try and score without the without the ball ever hitting the ground, right? Like you're just volley. I feel like Matthews sometimes is playing hockey that way. It's insanity. Um, and he was he was electric. That 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 two on one with Mitch Marner, like the the nicest or the nicest the biggest compliment I can give to that two on one with Mitch Marner is that Braden Holpe played it really well and Travis Hamanick played it really well. And it just, it, it was nowhere close to mattering. Like it was, it was just automatic. automatic. Yeah. yeah. No, Unbelievable. Right. Completely. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, like there was no, you, you, you wouldn't, when the Canucks watch that in film, you know, when they, when they show that tape, it'll be like, and everyone did their job and it just didn't matter. Like, that's crazy. That's, you know, the the Travis Green quote post-game that I thought was, you know, summed it up, right? Their skill was the difference, right? Like, yeah. their, their skill made some plays. That was the difference. Yeah, 100%. Um, the Canucks are just outgunned and, and clearly don't have a ton in the tank anyway. It's, uh, it's a rough combo. Yeah, and I was experiencing, and they probably were too, deja vu early in the second period for the second game in a row, right? The game kind of turned on them in Ottawa with those two goals in the first 70 seconds. We talked about that on the last podcast, and here it was three minutes, so it was extended by, you know, a handful of seconds, but Matthews yeah. makes it 2 nothing, and then Engvall makes it 3 nothing off the rush, and you just knew, uh, even though yeah. the Canucks got their one back, they, they weren't clawing their way back into this hockey game against that opponent. 
Well, and I want to say this respectfully, but like, didn't the last 10 minutes of the third feel like a gentleman's agreement where it was sort of played at 75% pace? Completely. Like, like, And we're going to see a ton more of that, unfortunately. No, but but the, the thing we're going to see that's worse, in my view, J-Pat, is what if the Canucks had been up 2-1? Right? Like, what if the Canucks had been up 2-1 and the Leafs had turned up and started throwing fastballs in that stretch of time? Like, what would that have looked like? You know, like, I'm almost... I'm almost leery of the goaltending performance that causes a meltdown late. You know what I'm saying? That has nothing to do, again, with defensive structure or effort or commitment or preparation, but just has to do with, you know, this team just doesn't look like they have anything in the tank. And they can't say that, but it's, you know, we. I think, I like to think we've watched enough hockey to know. And, you know, I think fans have too. Like, I don't think there's a lot of... A lot of suspense here. I don't think there's a lot of question. Like, what would that have looked like, right? If if Holtby had stolen it to the point that the Canucks were up. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll, I, I, we'll worry, I think it's we'll going to get ugly. Them, we'll worry about them getting a lead because it hasn't happened uh, an awful lot. I know that they beat the Senators, but uh, only once of those four games. Like, the, the two wins against the Leafs out of the COVID break were terrific. It was great theater. Incredible storyline. But they've lost three in a row in four or five now, and this idea of them winning five of their final 19, I think, is back on the table again, right? Like, that was kind of the number that I think we had picked on an earlier podcast. Of how and, many- but, 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 and never back down from, right? Remember they won the first two? Right. Or they won the first three. Didn't they win the first three? No, they got shut out by the Sens. Right. They won three of four. Yeah. But I feel like we never backed down from it. No. No, we've stuck with that. So let's see where it goes. 12 games remaining on the schedule. And, and again, the schedule's not easing up on them at all. So, so yeah, I mean, five is, I think, very much uh, within the realm of possibilities. Uh, let's get to a couple of things from last night's game. One is uh, the debut of Cole Lynn, because we talked about it in the last podcast. The city had been sort of crying out, play the kids, play the kids. And, and finally, Travis Green... I don't know if he relented or if he just figured he had nothing to lose or if he had no other options, whatever the case. Cole Lynn makes his National Hockey League debut, ends up playing 17 minutes and 7 seconds. He started on a line with Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott. Mott, unfortunately, took the high hit from Liljegren uh, right at the end of the second period. Didn't look good, left the game. Uh, no update on him post game, so we'll see where things go. Uh, but then the Canucks are down to forward, and so the blender's out a little bit. Uh, Lynn got an opportunity to play with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson at times in the third period. His final stat line, uh, 17.07 in ice time, two shots on goal on three attempts. He had a hit, he had a blocked shot. I didn't think he looked out of place. You know, he didn't blow the roof off. Uh, I want to keep calling it Air Canada Center. I know it's not. Uh, Scotiabank place, but... Yeah, let, give them their money's worth, bud. Yes, exactly. All, <laughs> the, all about the branding. All, um, no, like, I, I thought Lynn was all right. Like, you know, we've been talking at length here uh, for a while about bottom six guys and, you know, leaving any sort of mark on a hockey game. Uh, that line with Sutter and Mott in the second period uh, had one shift where they drew a penalty. You know, playing with Brandon Sutter, we know the challenge is there if you're trying to generate uh, much in the way of offense if you're a winger. But I, I thought he was okay. And I, I, Travis Green said afterwards, like, look at his ice time. I think that tells you what, what I thought of him. And I, by saying that, he's saying he played him 17 minutes and seven seconds, where a lot of these guys that are in the bottom six were under 10 minutes on the back half of back-to-back. So I thought Lynn was okay. I, I, I think we'll see more of him. I would imagine that he'll get more opportunities here with 12 to go. Uh, what did you see in Cole Lind? Yeah, I thought he played well. I thought he played hard. Right. I think Cole Lind is, in my view, not likely to make a name for himself at the NHL level for being the type of sniper that perhaps he was projected to be in his draft year and and in his draft plus one season when he absolutely lit up the dub, you know, based on what he's done in the AHL since based on his overall game based on his skill level. And I thought there were moments where it was apparent um, you know, for for better and worse in his debut. Like, I just think this is a guy who's going to, if he's going to play and carve out a niche in the NHL, which is really tough to do, right? Like, it's an incredibly cruel league. 
Like, I think it's going to have to be as a guy who's consistent in terms of his physical assertiveness, in terms of being that sort of puck hound, in terms of getting under opponent's skin. Now, you don't expect to see a guy find that part of their game in their NHL debut by any means. But, you know, I think Cole Lynn's at his best when he's engaged like that. I think he's got some potential to be a bottom six kind of difference maker if he can bring that consistently. I thought it was a good start. Like, I liked a lot of the effort, the work rate, that part of his game. Uh, but I wasn't blown away by the skill level, personally. That was just my sort of overall assessment. Um, but a really nice debut. Um, you know, he was all shucks about it post-game. You can't help but root for a guy like that. Like, he is, you know, uh, bright, salt of the earth. Uh, I've always enjoyed interviewing and chatting with him in the past. And uh, and nice to see him show so well um, on that stage in his NHL debut. I-, I thought it was a really good start for him. And And for me, if he can continue to sort of bring that physical assertiveness, right, that that I thought was there, that I thought he did bring in his debut, then I think he's got a chance to sort of move past that tricky industry label of a tweener, right? The, oh, he's not really defensive enough to play bottom six. He's not really offensive enough to play top six. You know, if you're a hardworking third liner that can score a bit and is smart enough to punish mistakes, like you can play in this league. Uh, I think he can be that player potentially, maybe. I think there's still some work to do. But I thought it was a really good start. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to, like, context matters because, like, this guy hadn't played a game at any level since March the 3rd. He played for Utica in the AHL. They broke his nose. And then the Canucks brought him into Vancouver to be checked over by their doctors uh, with the quarantines and everything else. And I'm sure it was part of the plan, too. But, oh, like, you're here. You're in Vancouver. May as well stick around. And then COVID hit. And didn't get his opportunity. Like, he's gone almost two full months without game action. So to step into the National Hockey League, you know, I, I hope he gets an opportunity to go right back in there on Saturday. And we don't know about Tyler Mott, but they may be down a forward again here. So that may open up an opportunity. I'd just like to see Cole Lynn get another chance with a little bit of uh, rust shaken off him yep. uh, in his debut and, and well, see if he looks any different or any better. And potentially at the top of the lineup or close to it, right? Like potentially in that slot with Horvat and, and Pearson. Because one one bright spot for the Canucks, I thought, was Miller, Besser, and Hoaglander looked really good for me in that third frame. And, you know, honestly, other than Pearson, Horvat, Hoaglander, I don't know that the Canucks have had a line that's generated much of anything five on five since Pedersen left the lineup. I'd be very curious to see what Lind can do with Pearson and Horvat and, and whether or not, you know, that line can just sort of hold the fort. In terms of, you know, second line production and see if maybe Miller, Hoaglander, Besser can get Besser cooking again and, you know, can get Miller sort of seeing some goals go into the net when he's on the ice five on five. Like he's only got he's only been on the ice, J-Pat, for six goals in 17 games or 18 now um, since Pedersen left the lineup and he moved to center. You know, that's that's a tough way to live, right? Like that's a tough way to win games. So, you know, I do think that that could be. Uh, a, a, a partial solution, perhaps, to, to a, you know, an insurmountable problem, which is Vancouver's lack of skill without Pedersen, but at least a Band-Aid that maybe can eke out a few points here and there for them over the balance. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because, like, it stands to reason you're going to miss your best player, and they do, but I don't think anybody misses Elias Pedersen more than than Brock Besser. And, and look, Brock Besser is not a guy that generally makes things happen on his own. He's got an elite shot. We've seen it. But I think it's now one goal in nine games, and the one goal was the five on three power play goal the other night. Uh, was it five on three or five on four? I think it was it five was, on four. No, it was. You're right. It was that Hogberg had just come into the game yeah. cold, and he ripped that thing. But a power play goal, nevertheless. So nine games at evens without a goal from Brock Besser, who you know, frankly, hasn't looked all that dangerous of late. And, and again, it makes sense because Elias Pettersson. Uh, is generally the guy that's putting the puck on his stick in places to shoot. And so, you know, you'd like to see Besser. He started so well. He had 12 goals in his first 20 games, and it's been a tough go since then. And so kind of curious to see how he'll finish up this season and and where it goes from here uh, for Brock Besser. So we'll see what their top six construction looks like. We know that that's been an issue. Uh, We've seen different guys get opportunities and 
Maybe Cole Lind will get a little bit of a look there as he did in the third period against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I want to go back to early, early in the hockey game. Uh, Wayne Simmons waited a week to exact revenge on Alex Adler. Adler with the neon neon hymen in that first game. We documented that well. You wrote about it uh, coming out of the, the COVID break. And unfortunately for Hyman, he's on the shelf and is going to be for a little while here still. You know, the league steps in. They reviewed it. They, Edler got kicked out of the game. He gets the two-game suspension. I'm thinking in his mind, he probably thinks that that's the end of the story. Turned 35 last week. Has he never had a, it. He seemed ready for it, no? Uh, I don't know. He, to me, he looked resigned that he had to kind of go through... You know, because the code tells you that you have... Like, to me, it's bullshit. The guy's never had a fighting major in his career. He's 35. Like, everybody in the league knows who and what Alex Adler is, even if you didn't like the hit. Like, run him all night long. Finish checks on him. Play him hard. But Wayne Simmons dropping the gloves and just feeding Alex Adler. Uh, like, it was awkward. He, he did not look like a fighter. He's not a fighter. And no. so I didn't. I didn't like that, but I also didn't like the fact that Nobody on the Canucks seemed to care about it either. Yeah, like, maybe maybe yeah. that's the code. But you know, if you're Zach McEwen, and we've talked about how this season has just kind of gone off the rails for him, like that's your job, isn't it? Like, how yeah, about you, you have a word go like TJ Brody or something, right? Well, anybody or Simmons later in the game, if you, I don't know, like it just it felt to me like the Canucks just they took their lumps the way Alex Edler took his lumps and everybody seemed okay with it. And I asked Tanner Pearson about it after the game. I asked Travis Green about it after the game. And they were both like, yeah, eh, you know, whatever. Honest guys, they, you know, they settled like men. I don't know. I, I That one just didn't sit right with me. Like I, to me, I think Wayne Simmons has a better read of the league, who the fighters are. And Alex Edler is not one of them. I looked it up on hockeyfights.com. I thought, guy that's been in the league this long that maybe there had been one that I had forgotten about. He's picked up major penalties along the way. Alex Edler has never had a fight in the National Hockey League until Thursday night. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, look, it was a bad hit. He hung a knee. You, yep. you know, from the Leafs' perspective, it's like you hung a knee because you were beat after the end of a three-minute shift, and you literally risked our cup chances. You know, like, we need Zach Hyman. Like, that's not tolerable. Um, you know, and, and also, also context here too, is like the Leafs are pilloried in their own market all the time for being like the softest team, you know, so it's like, like three ply soft. That's always been the criticism of this team. They've added Simmons now they've added Polino when Hyman's in like, they, you know, they're, they're. I'm sure, I'm sure should the Leafs go far in the playoffs, everyone will say, you know, even though Matthews has like 20 goals in the playoffs, right? People will be like, it's because they got Foligno. <laughs> just like just like when Tampa Bay got Barkley Gaudreau and Blake Coleman and they learned that meat and potatoes and that's why they won. That's why you can't win the cup without without Barkley Gaudreau. It's forget, forget Braden points, 30 points or Andre Vasilevsky playing every minute of hockey in the bubble or Victor Hedman becoming a more mobile Chris Pronger. Like, no, it's it's that they got Barkley Gaudreau to center the third line, J-Pat. Anyway, uh, you know, I, look, I, I agree with you. I hate seeing a guy have to answer um, a, a, a hit that was suspended, that he was assessed a major for. Like, you know, but I but I also understand it from the Toronto perspective. I'm not I'm not being too critical uh, of Wayne Simmons for picking that fight, um, you know. I, I just think it's I think it's bullshit that he had to do it that Edler had to do it. Kudos to him for being game to it. Um, that's sort of that's sort of all I got. Uh, I, I don't love I don't love that aspect of the game. Period. Though I'll say that much. Right. So I, I don't want to belabor this too much, but like something's got into the Canucks here since COVID. Like I, it's weird. Like they're now tied for fifth in the league in fighting majors, and half of them have come since the COVID break. Like every one of the games against Ottawa uh, had a scrap. And this one early uh, had Simmons going after Edler. Like, I don't think of the Vancouver Canucks as a bunch of fighters. And yet there are only four teams in the National Hockey League with more fighting majors than the Canucks at this point, up to 14 now, which isn't a grand total. You know what, it, though? It is. That's a really good data point for, like, you don't know what's gotten into the Canucks. The players are looking up and down the bench. I mean, take the Edler fight out, right? That one doesn't. That one's different because that was initiated by Simmons, who clearly should have gotten an instigator, by the way. Oh, clearly. God. And <laughs> yeah. um, but 
that was initiated by Simmons. But what does what does the fact that they've fought so often in these games since returning from the COVID break tell you? It tells you that the players are saying the same thing you and I are, J. Pat. Like these guys are going out and dropping the gloves, not because they're like mad or you know they're they're doing it to try and get some some juice going, some juice flowing on the bench, right? Like this is a bunch of guys who are assessing their teammates and themselves the same way we are at the moment from afar, right? This is everyone doing everything they can to get some extra life, to get some extra wind, to get some extra energy going because they know that that's what the team needs. I mean, I think that's a wild stat because for me, like the the inference that I draw from it is that the players are just as aware of the club's current athletic limitations as we are. That's what I'd suggest to you. Well, you know what I'd suggest to you is... That I'm full of shit? No, that you should open a Steamworks. That's oh, my yeah. advice at, at all times, Done. anytime, all day, every day. Uh, we've talked about this at length here on the, the podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Quinn Hughes was on the ice for all four of the Toronto goals. He was on the ice for all the goals in the hockey game because he picks up another assist. He's up to 31 of those on the season now. But you made all sorts of, I was going to say you made hay last year. I mean, it was sort of your hot take about Quinn Hughes is better than Kale McCarr. Uh, where do you Well, stand? sorry, 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 sorry. I, I, I'm glad you've given me an opportunity to address this because I hear it sometimes, people being like, what a terrible take. And it's like, I still believe that Quinn Hughes should have won the Calder. <laughs> like, clearly the difference between them this year has been significant and in Makar's favor in a major, major way. Uh, but, like, my analysis of their rookie seasons is remains correct, in my Fair view. Enough. In my That's view. Like, we, can't, Quinn, we can't go back and change the votes, though. What's done no, is no, done. No, no, I, of course. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, people, people get at me sometimes. They're like, you were wrong. And it's like, no, I was right. And I'm never going to admit that I wasn't because, for me, the data, what I watched was readily apparent. Um, but obviously, Makar has leveled up in a completely different way. Like, Makar's left the rest of that class behind, right? Like, Darlene's had a really tough year. Haskinen has not been 2020 bubble Miro Haskinen. And Quinn Hughes's defensive game has been, you know, lacking, frankly, throughout this season. So, you know, Makar's taken off. Makar's hit a new level. Uh, I don't think the other defenders in that second contract class have. And guess what? That's going to be reflected on who signs the biggest contract in the next, you know, three to eight months. What do you make of, because like there was all that talk, like, you know, this is going to be incredible for the next decade. It's going to be McCarr against Hughes. Like, forget the rookie of the year. These guys are going to be battling for Norris trophies. It looks now like Adam Fox may have like leaped that entire pack and I know Dom Lecision at The Athletic certainly has shown all sorts of data points that uh, suggest that Adam Fox, you know, either is the front runner or should be, where a lot of people continue to point at a guy like Victor Hedman. Uh, but Adam Fox is doing incredible things. And I, I think this is, again, another case where, and I, I'll trust that our VIPs, you know, as much as they're locked on to the Canucks, are aware of what's going on around the National Hockey League, but... You know, I think for a lot of people, like we're just not seeing as much of those U.S. teams because of the focus on the All-Canadian Division. But Adam Fox is off the charts good uh, with the Rangers this year. Yeah, he's fantastic. Fantastic Mr. Fox. 
right? Yes, yes, he is. No, he's look the the biggest change. So, like you know, you know that I'm the president of the Vince Dunn Association I, Appreciation I, Association, I right? Yes. So, yes, yes. but that said, I have a lingering concern with Vince Dunn because I look at a guy like Colin Miller, right? And five years ago, I was the president of the Vancouver chapter of the. Well, I guess it would have been the Florida chapter at the time. Um, the president of the Colin Miller uh, Appreciation Society. And what happened was that Miller moved from, you know, Vegas, where he was a third pair guy generating insane results, to Buffalo, where he was a top four guy playing matchup minutes. And he couldn't make that leap. Like he couldn't drive the same results as he moved higher up the lineup. This is not super uncommon. Like we see guys who are just like perfect third pair drivers. And they struggle occasionally to manage the same when their difficulty of competition ratchets up. Now, Fox last season was not, for me, in the same Calder conversation as Hughes and Makar. And a major reason why was, A, Makar and Hughes also were huge power play generators and Fox was a PP2 guy. Um, even though the five-on-five -five scoring was close, you know, the fact that both of those guys had an insane impact on elite, elite power plays, uh, like that was something that I weighed pretty heavily. Like, hey, the Canucks wouldn't have made the playoffs without the, their power play being elite in 1920. Quinn Hughes was kind of the straw that stirred that drink. Uh, so, you know, that mattered to me. And the other was that while McCarr and Hughes played top six comp at an above average rate, uh, Adam Fox played pretty protected minutes. Now, this year, Adam Fox is playing really tough minutes, like playing a ton against opponents' first lines. In fact, he's like a got the profile of a classic matchup guy. Like he's playing more against first lines and a below average number of minutes against every other forward, like forwards four through 12 on, on his opponent's lineup or opponent's roster. Uh, his defensive results this season are through the roof. He has been, you know, New York's second best player behind Artemi Panarin, and that is high, high praise. Um, yeah, he's he's incredible. I mean, Adam Fox is incredible. And, you know, and for me, too, sort of another reason why I'm curious to see Jack Rathbone, right? Like, not that Jack Rathbone's likely to be Adam Fox, um, I don't think that he's quite got that, that level of maturity, even as, as what rookie year Adam Fox had, but you know, college players tend to come out relatively ready, like relatively detailed oriented in terms of their approach to the game. Um, both Harvard men, yeah. um, uh, you know, it's, it's a reason as I sort of think about what this Canucks defense core and, and the criticism that I had, not the criticism, but the critical comments I had about Yolevi playing those protected third pair minutes, right? And not sort of doing anything with them, right? Like there's no offense there. There's no bottom line. There's no play driving. You know, for me, Jack Rathbone's a guy who maybe, if you give him sheltered 12 minutes, is going to be able to, you know, use that big shot, use that, use those active feet, like sort of drive things for you offensively. And for a team that's just so desperate for goals right now, um, you know, that's something I'm keen to see, to be honest with you. I, I don't think we will see it. I don't think that's nigh. I don't think that's like the Cole Lynn thing where we're going to see it quick. But, you know, we should. Honestly, we just should. Yeah, I, I think it's tougher, obviously, uh, when you're on the road, particularly to inject a, a defenseman to make his NHL debut, especially against Matthews and Marty. Like you think back to February when Jalen Chatfield it was baptism by fire, and remember the one goal totally. that Matthews went like right. Who could forget him? it? Who could forget it? That <laughs> well, was one Chat of the goals of the year. Chatfield would like to, um, right? But you know, and, and that would be my concern. I think, and we talked about like they're in this run of schedule where it's Matthews and Marner for two nights, and then it's McDavid and Drysaddle for four at home. You have a better chance of being able to shelter a young defenseman. But uh, I wonder if they get through those games, take stock of where they are. And then maybe, uh, you know, you got Madison Bowie waiting in the wings, too, who wants a shot. And I don't know if he's going to get an opportunity. So uh, there are bodies around and we'll see how things play out. Uh, but I don't expect, I'm like you, I don't expect to see Rathbone as much as I'd like to. I think it's going to be a while still 
uh, before we do. Uh, you mentioned Colin Miller, and I'm going to use that as my segue because I want to take a second here just to mention Ryan Miller. Uh, news of the day on <laughs> Thursday was that when the season's done, uh, so is he. He's hanging up his uh, goal pads in Anaheim. 18 seasons in the National Hockey League, three of them spent in Vancouver. Were you around the team when I was? was here? Uh, of yeah, course I, I was. That was like right in my sweet spot, early, early Benning era. Um, so I covered Miller. I covered Miller in 15-16 when they made the playoffs, and then the next year, and then it was the next year. So his final year in Vancouver was the year that I went to Florida. So I, I okay. overlapped so. with Miller for t- two years, and I, and I, um, you know, one thing I'll say about Miller, he's so thoughtful to talk to, right? And yeah. you'd have these great conversations with him. You know, like long conversations with him. He had time for you. He'd explore interesting ideas. Um, it was awesome. And then you'd transcribe it and you'd be like, I don't really know that he said anything. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have this experience with Ryan Miller? I did. My most memorable conversation with him, like, it was always funny because you know how they bring the goalie to the front post game, uh, to like right in front of the TV monitor. And, you know, you know Markstrom did it for the last bunch of years. And, like, you know, we'd always wait for the goalie. And you could tell, like, Miller had no interest in talking about the X's nose, sort of, of what had just happened on the ice. But once that kind of dissipated and, like, the initial scrum broke off, then quite often these questions would come that he would run with. Uh, I remember one day after practice, uh, we got into this discussion with him. And it wasn't – it was just guys chatting. Like, And I don't even know if microphones and cameras were on. But it was about coming up through Buffalo's system – and sort of the expectations on him as a young guy to be the next Dominic Hasek. And like it was just a fascinating mm. discussion just to listen to him sort of recount sort of how much pressure there was and how he dealt with it. And, you know, I mean, obviously nobody was going to be the next Dominic Hasek. And, and certainly, you know, stylistically, nobody ever was going to be the next Dominic Hasek. And yet, you know, throughout his career, like I, the Ducks put out a press release today and it just sort of hit home when you look at the numbers like, you know, not only the winningest American-born goaltender of all time, um, but I think for any goalie that's played more than 700 games, he's got the fifth best save percentage right? in National Hockey League history. And his three years in Vancouver, Tom, his first year in Vancouver, he won 29 of his 45 starts. Like, he was really good. Like, you know, and then a, he got hurt. And then he got hurt at the end, and he only played the three playoff games. And Well, uh, he wasn't ready. Right. And, he wasn't, and they rushed him back. That was like, Eddie Lack. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Eddie Lack, they made the playoffs because of Eddie Lack. Eddie Lack went on Fuego. Um, but I was at that game on Long Island. I actually drove. Uh, I was staying with some friends. That was my first assignment. So my first assignment with Sportsnet was in New York. And the Canucks were playing one of those beautiful, like, three games over seven days in New York. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, just like yeah. the best. And... um and so I remember uh, I was staying with some friends in in Little Italy because I was like a freelancer. Like I was like straight hustling, right? So I pitched like a big Sedine feature and I went down for the week and I wrote one feature and I worked for the Net- Nation Network and I stayed with my friends in Little Italy in Manhattan and uh, like the best. Honestly, I can't remember like a better time in my life, to be honest. And that was such a fun, weird thing. Like I'm at practice with who's in botch when Prust throws the like tantrum to get back in the lineup, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and then it's Yannick Hansen bowls into Ryan Miller right. at yeah. Nassau Coliseum. So it was the only game I've ever seen live at Nassau Coliseum, but uh botch picks me up. JB picks me up um, in little Italy, like what, like eight in the morning, right? Cause we have to be there for a road morning skate at Nassau Coliseum. And then it's a 7 PM start. So we go to like, that Radisson or whatever, like that hotel that's like just crap. And I remember we like ate grilled cheese and just like worked. (laughs) And I just like, I wrote my whole Sportsnet feature sitting at the bar with Botch um, or sitting at the restaurant with Botch while we ate grilled cheese. And we just, you know, it was like, it was like you and me at Brown Social House, you know, like just one of those like eight hour marathon (laughs) sessions between a morning skate and a game somewhere remote. And uh, yeah, Yeah, I remember, I remember it really fondly. Yeah, but yours was in New York. Ours was in Abbotsford. No, no, it was not. It was on Long Island. <laughs> we were in Nassau. <laughs> like, this was not glamorous by any means. Um, but I remember it fondly. But the 
the other thing about Ryan Miller, and you touched on it a bit, like the Hashik thing, right? Like Miller, um, you know, we talked about Thomas Grice the other day, right? And Thomas Grice, Thomas Grice is one of those weird guys too, like Ryan Miller, where in an age of butterfly goalies, he sort of bucked the trend. He didn't play like a conventional butterfly goalie um, in an era where almost everyone else did. And if you ever ask Thomas Grice what his approach to puck stopping is, right? He will tell you he plays a Ryan Miller style. Ah. He plays a Ryan Miller style. So, the, and that's a good thing that we should note about Ryan Miller. Like Ryan Miller was bright. He was unique. Um, he was, you know, completely different from anyone else in the league. And he was in a world in which goalies play the angle and, you know, are scientifically programmed to do reverse V8 and play the percentages, Right. Um, play a mathematical, almost robotic style in terms of their safe selection, positioning, you know, three quarters depth and on and on. Ryan Miller was a fucking artist in, in, in a league where that just no longer exists. So while he may never have risen to Dominic Hasek's heights, who could? Um, he was actually ultimately a worthy successor who kept sort of the torch burning for the unconventional, unpredictable feel the game, read the game, read and react goaltender. Um, and obviously he had the high point of his career in Vancouver, ultimately, uh, not for the Canucks, but for Team USA at the Olympics. Right. Uh, that 2010 year, he wins the Vesna and uh, was liked out good for Team USA and obviously came up one goal short in overtime at the Olympics. But just a, a terrific career. You know, fifth round draft choice in 1999, same year the Sedins were drafted. Uh, he certainly... Uh, you know, outkicked the, the coverage of what was expected of a fifth round draft choice uh, to do the things that he did. So uh, good on, on Ryan Miller. And it's just kind of funny that he makes the announcement the same day that the Canucks were in Toronto. And I saw the video being posted all over the place of him jumping in, coming into the defense of Troy Stetcher uh, when Troy Stetcher was getting worked over by Matt Martin. What I had forgotten was that that was Troy Stetcher's fourth NHL game. And here oh, he yeah. is getting, getting manhandled by one of the tough guys, you know, a true heavyweight in the NHL and, and good on Ryan Miller. Like total veteran move there, stepping in, jumping in and, and doing what he could to to help a, a young teammate who uh, was in danger of just getting absolutely pummeled, getting his grilled cheese fed to him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in Toronto, but... Anyway, so Ryan Miller was he was a good guy. Uh, that sounds uh, nice. That that makes that makes it sound like Ryan Miller intervened on something that like he really shouldn't have. It's like I wanted that. I wanted that. It had Gruyere, cage cave age Gruyere. Damn. No, this was cheese slices on white bread. No. I'm okay with that too, man. In the George Foreman, get those get those press marks down. Mm, delicious. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, sirloin a lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink? Meatballs. Very good, sir. Hey, as we wrap things up here, uh, ahead of the rematch tomorrow night, the Canucks and the Leafs go back at it uh, again, and we'll uh, have to wait and see about uh, morning skate and who's going to be in the lineup and all those types of things. Uh, JT Miller scores the only Canucks goal. It's a power play goal. He's up to 11. Now, on our stake bet... Like we both had nineteen, put, right? Right. So Miller goals are a push. They they don't they really do not matter. But I, I want to take a moment here to Bo recognize. Horvath. I need Bo Horvat to save me here. Okay, but just let me recognize Dave, one of okay. our VIPs, regular listener. I woke up to a spreadsheet oh. on Thursday morning. Big save, coming Dave. Of, coming out of the Ottawa game, Dave, the VIP, had put together like he had. The list of both of our projections, like not only listening, but taking notes on the VanCast here. And he had done the differentials and everything else right now as it stands. And the Miller goal last night doesn't change this. I have a one-point lead. So it's coming down to the wire. I think the stake bet is going to be more exciting to monitor 
than the final 12 games for the Vancouver Canucks, quite frankly. Which was uh, always and, inevitable. And I say that because I've got the lead. But but what Dave has done here is essentially, he's highlighted the fact that it can come down to four guys, but really, as we've said throughout, Horvat. Because I had Horvat with 17, you had him with 23, he's sitting on 16, and he's got a dozen games to go. But Besser, Horvat, Pearson, and Schmidt are really the four that, you know, there could be a swing uh, one yeah. way or the other because there's a little bit of a gap uh, between our projections. So well, And we'll Sutter. See. And Brandon Sutter. Brandon, every goal Brandon Sutter scores, I'm nervous about. Well, I, I, I said that on the last pod, and then somebody pointed out that really Sutter goals don't matter. Like, because we were one goal apart on our projection. So, but you th- rack up the score now. Oh, but every right, okay, got it. Because it impacts right. us both negatively yes. because of the game theory at play. Okay, yes, yes, yes. So I had him with eight. You had him with seven. He's at nine, and so so it's Horvat. Horvat is really Horvat is need. really the kingmaker. And I really yes. need what I really need is Elias Pettersson back. <laughs> well, like I'm just like the Canucks. I need P- I need Petey. <laughs> My goodness, no, I I mean. I need PD because it opens up the bumper spot, right? My logic on the on the call regarding Bo Horvat leading the Canucks in scoring was really contingent on him just feasting at the bumper. And it looked genius early in the season. But without PD, that power play looks very different and uh, not to my benefit. So anyway, hopefully Cole Lynn's skills as a setup man can save me now. I need well, Bo Horvat to get hot. We'll see. But our thanks to VIP Dave for doing the math. I like yeah, it when people serve up the math. Big save Dave. Uh, big save Dave coming through. <laughs> big XL Dave. Of the season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Man after my own heart. Yeah, it was color-coded. It was beautiful. It was a, it was a piece of art. Uh, so we thank Dave for that. We love you, Dave. There we go. Uh, all right. Well, we'll continue to monitor because we're now truly in the home stretch. 12 games to go for the Canucks starting on Saturday in Toronto. Uh, we remind you at the end of each and every one of these uh, VanCasts that if you want other pod options from around the National Hockey League under the Athletic umbrella, you should check out Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian for the Athletic Hockey Show Monday. Now, last Monday's uh, maybe the new high water mark because Tom and I uh, were the guests, so I'm not sure what they've got up their sleeve for this coming Monday, but uh, certainly worth checking them out. Ian, of course, in Ottawa, Haley covering the Calgary Flames, so you get uh, some different perspectives and different viewpoints around uh, the division and around the National Hockey League. We always ask you to check out our comments section for each podcast episode. You do that at the Athletic app. Drop us a line. Uh, your thoughts on any episode, things you'd like us to touch on, questions, comments. We're, we're due for a mailbag here before too long. Oh, yeah. Long, we'll so, do a mailbag next week. Uh, I think I can okay, promise that. I feel right, comfortable I'm going to hold you that. to that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, but in the meantime, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. All right, the Dirty Dozen. That's what's left for the Vancouver Canucks. We'll be here to monitor it. Uh, uh, the dirt, games may dirty, not be much Dirty fun. indeed, my God. We'll, we'll do our best to continue to try to make, uh, I, don't, I can't even call it the stretch run, just uh, <laughs> the final the final 12. <laughs> uh, we'll do our best. <laughs> That's what they are. They're the, the final 12. Yeah. Yeah, the end is. I just the end's in sight. The, the, every now and then, when you go like Radio J Pat, you know, and and things just get really <laughs> dramatic. And the dramatic deflation there was like, I, we can't even call it the stretch run. We'll call it the final twelve. And it's just like, it's so good. It's so good. That's yes. why you're the man. Well, I laughed when I, I saw somebody suggest that. You know, the Canucks had won four in a row against Toronto. Leafs, of course, schooled the Canucks early in the season. Then they win. Uh, so the season series is is tied at 4-4. And somebody was trying to suggest that, like, the season series will be decided on Saturday night. Like they're yeah, Sportsnet to, did that yeah. too. John John Shorthouse called it the <laughs> rubber match. And it was yeah. like, yeah, I mean, is that because it's going to bounce off of... <laughs> no, I mean... I, I don't I even know. know if the Leafs are going to play. Like, who are the Leafs even going to play? You know, like, are they going to take TJ Brody out? Are they going to take one of Willie... Austin and Mitch out? Like, maybe. Maybe. Tavares. Tavares. Oh, yeah. JT. JT is coming out for sure. For sure. And Thornton. Thornton. No, 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 no. The two JTs. You need need Thornton in the lineup. Come on. 
Come on. Now they're gonna do it by they're gonna do it by initials. If your initials are JT. <laughs> <laughs> well, what then what I think that's what it's coming to. Then what to. about yeah. TJ Brody? Ah, right? Like yes. does he that, does he qualify? That counts. And if he qualifies, yeah. what does that mean for Miller? Ah. No, no nothing. You heard Travis. Team. Travis. Yes, Travis said a week ago that there would be guys coming in and out, but Bo Horvat and JT Miller wouldn't be among them. So, no. <laughs> Fair He'll enough. He'll be in there. Hey, yeah, I want, want to note one other thing. I had an interesting conversation with an industry contact today. I was just, you know, chatting, catching up, basically. But yes. they noted to me that they'd seen um, the highlights from Canucks Senators and noted that one thing that struck them, that it impressed them, um, so something that the industry has noted anyway was uh, Green's blow up on the bench, right? And, you know, veteran, veteran talent evaluator to me just said, you can tell he's still coaching and and dropped that as like, uh, hey, they may be fucked, <laughs> but, the, but they're still trying. Uh, that's something that had registered around the industry. Uh, and I just figured I'd drop that because... You know, we we need some silver linings where we can find them, especially with you know what what remains in front of us and what we've seen from the Canucks over the past week. All right, noted. So the rest of the league is keeping an eye on Travis Green, who could be a free agent coach here, twelve games from now. The final twelve. That's what we're calling it. Uh, I like that you kind of threw that in. You threw that in after. This is kind of like the bonus content. You know, the, the postscript, yeah. yeah, like you have to stick around this right is, to the this end. Is like, people thought we were yeah, done. This is like after yeah, the, you've had a Lionsgate logger, you then have a flagship <laughs> IPA. You know, yeah, it's like the credits are rolling and you think the movie's done, but then there's like that, <laughs> like the Marvel, that bonus yeah, scene. the Marvel um, exactly like end yes. credit scene, yeah, for sure. And then yeah. uh, and then and then cut to like Loki um, streaming on Disney Plus. I won't say more because you know they don't pay us. This is officially. The end. For your answer, it's JPAT. Thanks so much for listening. 12 games to go for the Vancouver Canucks. We'll continue to monitor them uh, all the way to the finish line here on the Vancast, the Athletic and the Athletic.com. Mm-hmm.